0: I talk Stephen Means, Nathan Baird and Drew Gillis. And so two pretty interesting things happened Monday night. This is your Wednesday, but We're recording it on Tuesday. Two really interesting things happened on Monday night. One of them was good for Ohio State and the other one was not so good for Ohio State. The bulk of this pod is going to be about the latter of those two things. But we're going to start off with the good thing because you always start off with good news when you have good news and you've got bad news. We talked about Quinshawn Judkins Nathan on the Tuesday pod and the idea of him potentially transferring to Ohio State. And just seconds, maybe maybe minutes, after Michigan beat Washington in the national championship game, Quinshawn decided, you know, this is the time to make this announcement. I got to give Ohio State's fan base something to be happy about tonight. I'm going to be that guy to do it. Quinshawn J- Judkins Nathan, he's a Buckeye now.
1: Yeah, if you're gonna do it, I mean, why not do it then and like you know flip the narrative a little bit, give fans uh, an extra positive. I mean, fans would be excited anyway to find out this guy with 2,700 rushing yards in two years and 30 some touchdowns is coming to Ohio State, regardless, right? But I thought there was a little bit of flair to do it. Didn't necessarily make my life easier to do it at 11:15 p.m., but nobody cares about that, nor should they. And uh, I, I, if people watch, I we always we've been doing these little YouTube shorts and uh you can't tell but i was definitely in my pjs at that point with just like a hoodie thrown on so um it's you know we're burning burning the, the midnight oil for for this and the transfer portal era has has had those things popping off at any time of day or night uh but it's it's massive news for ohio state and we still don't know for sure if this is him being paired with Trevion Henderson or if this is Trevion Henderson insurance is probably too insufficient of a word i mean he is uh what would have been considered one of the best running backs in the country coming in the next season like these two guys would have both been in that conversation and how State could have both of them in the same backfield and that is not something that we i mean we looked at this roster and we look at maybe it was going to be henderson hayden and two freshmen and you thought okay they could probably stand to add somebody to that but until last Thursday, nobody knew for sure that Judkins was going to be in the portal. And then five days later, he's committing to Ohio State. That is a very quick and uh, potentially powerful turn of events for an offense that really needs a bounce back season in 2024. So, Andrew, I've been thinking about this since
0: we had that conversation on the Tuesday pod about Quinshawn potentially joining this team. Regardless of Travion Henderson's decision, this is probably a big deal. Obviously, what makes it more interesting is if Travion comes back, as we were talking about on Tuesday, and the fact that you have two guys that you could probably rely on in a big game situation. Michigan just went 15-0, and they're not the first team in the 14-playoff era to go 15-0. LSU did it. I think Bama did it once, and Georgia did it last year, so it's not uncommon. But 12-team playoff means everybody is going to have to win at least one more game to win a national championship. So when you look at it from that side of things, of just overall depth of a team to get through potentially 16 games to win a national championship and win your conference, does it make more sense for why Ohio State would want to go load up in the running back room to have multiple guys you can rely on when you're trying to get through what is essentially going to be a seventh-month season at this point?
2: Well, it helps for sure. Um, You know, you you look at Michigan splits this year. Michigan Blake Corum, he was their workhorse. Obviously, he had 258 carries, um, and then they had Donovan Edwards who had 119 carries. So you they still had a clear number one. I I think that that should kind of be stated here: is that you still had a clear guy that you relied on. And I think Ohio State would like to have that situation. If you have both Quinchon and Travion, where you have a guy where it's, hey man, two minute drill. 24, 24 against Oregon. Who's going out there? You, you need a guy. It's not just, Hey, who's next on our rotation list. You, you're, you're sending out whoever's, you know, your number one guy. So you still need a number one guy, but yeah, depth is going to be really important. Um, not just at running back, but, but kind of everywhere. Um, you know, I mentioned this when we talked about him as well. I think that this is smart because it keeps the, the running back rotation room, if you will, kind of on schedule. Um, I think, you know, I think it was pretty clear that even if Trevion Henderson came back for the 2024 season, that it was going to be his last, like that it was, that was it. You were going to have to move on. Um, Like that was, you, you knew what was coming in 2025, I should say. And, you know, when you look up Quinshawn Judkins, there was an ESPN story from him in July of, uh, of 2023, where he was interviewed at SEC media day. And he said that. The decline of NFL running back contracts is a big concern for him. And he wants to showcase that he can play in the slot and he can play in a bunch of different positions. And he's, you know, he used the word that every NFL running back uses, which is playmaker. You know, they want to be known as a playmaker, not just a running back, a playmaker where they can be used in the slot, they can be used in the passing game, they can be used in a bunch of different areas. And I understand we haven't talked to him yet, but that just kind of reads to me as a guy who's – and especially with this transfer, that reads to me as a guy who's looking to get one year and then go to the NFL. So I think what this does is it gives you a year of – even if Trevion goes, you can have Judkins and Hayden as your one-two punch because you didn't know what your one-two punch was going to be if you lose Travion and then you have Dallin Hayden and then who? James Peoples? A transfer coming in? You know, th- this just gives you – a great one-two punch, whether or not Travion comes back. And and I think that that's the most important thing. So, yeah, you build up depth, and it keeps the running back room kind of on track, kind of like we talked about with quarterback, where you can build up some of that depth. You have James Peoples coming along. They redshirted Dallin Hayden, so you have him for apparently as long as you want. They've got options at running back, and I think this kind of just kills a lot of birds with one stone, I think. Nathan, just hypothetically,
0: if Travion Henderson does come back, Blake Horn's graduating, so he's not going to be back next year. Donovan Edwards can still come back. I don't. Nicholas Singleton and Catron Island didn't have the best year, and maybe you want to throw in the, the aspect of the Penn State's offense as a whole wasn't very good, and maybe that impacted them, but the point of the matter is they weren't, they didn't necessarily live up to the billing of, hey, we're in the conversation to be the Big Ten's best running back tandem. Just... I don't know the idea of Travion Henderson, who we know can be a thousand yard back when he's healthy. And when spent the last two years down at old miss doing that, could this potentially be the best running back tandem heading into 2024 in the big 10?
1: Yeah. I, I think it's the best <laughs> in the country. Like I don't, who else, who else, who who else are you putting in that conversation Ooh. nationally? Like, I mean, yeah. again, Henderson, this is two guys who, um, Henderson, could very well be in the NFL next year if he decides to make that jump. And Judkins is head mm-hmm. there. Like Judkins expects to be there after one year. Now, what here's what I think is interesting. Because at first blush, you think Man, that's that's two clear number one guys, as, as you were saying, Andrew. And it's like, how do you make that work? This isn't like guys who are brought in together and you build a running back tandem machine whatever over time and you're utilizing you know georgia has had great success with that in in some of its runs uh, and other teams have too this is two guys who have who, who are like alpha dog guys um maybe not so much in, in all ways in terms of his personality for trevion but in terms of what he does on a football field but trevion as we talked about on the previous pod has always taken a pretty sensible approach to the idea that he doesn't need to get 25 to 30 carries a game Quenshaw Judkins has been getting that many carries a game. Like He ran the ball a mm-hmm. ton the last two years. He's been averaging like 20-some carries a game, including upwards of, I think he had 34 against Penn State in the uh, Peach Bowl. He's had some other games where he was in the 30s. And I, I've i been trying to read up. I, it looked like he was playing through some injury stuff maybe early last season. His numbers, as we mentioned, did drop from freshman to sophomore year. From, And there could be other dynamics in the offense that, that factor into that but it was like 5.7 yards a carry down to 4.3 and he had I think almost half of his games he was averaging under four yards a carry now his running style is different than Trevion's Trevion is definitely the more like get him out in space open field break it away he obviously had added better vision better you know uh, ability to to weave his way through things this past season which made him which is why he's playing the best football of his career but they're they're different running backs in terms of their strengths, because Judkins is a lot of yards after contact. It's a lot of, you know, being able to run through tackles. It's a lot of, you know, forcing people to kind of miss tackles at at the point. So it's, they're, they're different guys. And I think they can be complimentary guys. But my point about Judkins is when you've had 500 and some carries over two years, and you're worried about the, the payoff that you could get in the NFL someday, even if you are completely healthy and have a lot of tread left on your tires, then it makes sense maybe to look for a place where you don't have to carry the ball 270 times in the coming season. Cause I don't know that it affects how much of an NFL prospect he'll be. And it might make him a better running back at the end uh, on a game to game basis. If he's able to go in and you could put him in for a series and he just slams away on people and you put in Trevion Henderson for a series. And now he's, doing the things that he does. Um, and maybe you can put them both on the field together because Will Howard, if you look at those Kansas state games, extensive experience using two quarterback, two running backs on the field at the same time, it doesn't really fit what Ohio state has done traditionally under Ryan day. But if Ryan day is truly an innovative offensive mind, I don't know, figure it out, man. Like you've got, the, when you get an abundance of weapons, I think the, the point isn't to like adhere to your personal tastes. I think the point is to find the ways to utilize those weapons the best. So I think it might, in the long run, be the more strategic decision and, and and why Judkins would come here without at least a public announcement from Henderson what he expects to do. He may already know. They may already know internally what Henderson expects to do. It's just something that hasn't become public yet. We're not 100% sure on that. The lean had been for him to come back from everything we were hearing, but Nothing's finalized yet there until he comes out and says it. So I think that this might be a situation where Judkins was tremendous as a freshman. He was still very strong at times this past year. Um, And I think that it's possible that this setup could maybe, you know, avoid some of that wear and tear that had built up over the first two years and builds up over the course of a season and makes him a, a stronger runner. The one thing I do worry about there, not worry, wonder, I wonder about it, is. There's also the kind of back that like needs to get in a rhythm, needs to like take a bunch of contact and like kind of get going. And if that's him, then I I don't know what his usage pattern is going to be if that to help make that happen. I We don't know yet. There's a lot of unknowns in this situation, how it's going to fit together. But in terms of just what it means for this room, I mean, again, at, at one point we were thinking, oh, they probably need to add another running back just to just to like raise the to take running back depth off of the list of things that could be a potential problem for 2024. Like when you looked and saw, okay, well, if Henderson doesn't come back and it's Hayden and two freshmen, you got to have somebody else. And maybe even if, Hey, even if Henderson does come back, do you only want four scholarship backs in that room? Uh, but this is not just adding depth. This is, this is adding a star running back to your already potentially pretty strong room. And the the floor has been raised a little bit for this offense, a little bit more. I don't know. Again, how it all going to piece together and and how it works in the long run. They do have to fix some offensive line things. But what it means for the security that it should give Will Howard and Devin Brown and the rest of this offense is is pretty obvious.
2: Well, and I think, too, there's a line between kind of like you were saying of, you know, the wear and tear and and all those things and not kind of wanting to, to burn out your backs. There is also the line between he was the guy at Ole Miss. And you right. don't want to show up at Ohio State and then be in a situation where Ohio State's playing Oregon and you get six touches, you know, you get seven touches. like you, there is a line between kind of understanding that I, hey, look, I want to be in a situation where I can either, you know, if Trivion Henderson is gone, then this is obviously a moot point. But if Trivion Henderson is here, I think you got to also kind of have an understanding of I'm not going to show up somewhere and be the two, like, this is going to be a 1A, 1B, or even, like, 1A, 1A type situation because they're, you want to boost your NFL draft stock. That's why you do this. You know, you want to do these type of things so you can have a, you know, more successful professional career and develop better. And one of the things is you don't want to show up to a team where you don't know that, I should say that, I'll phrase it like this. You want to show up to a place where you know you're going to get the ball, whether it's, you know, 14 times a game or 24 times a game you also gotta you gotta wear that you gotta weigh that wear and tear model versus I gotta go somewhere where I'm actually gonna play and put some stuff on film that I can show NFL scouts
1: and I think that's where the mindset becomes important and you know I know that Ohio State fans look back to 2018 and see where that didn't work between Weber and Dobbins and it was a a a problem for what should have been or what otherwise was a pretty tremendous offense. But I still think that that has always been a, a better indication of that didn't work because the players involved didn't like it, especially Dobbins. Like Dobbins didn't like it. It let it get in his head. If you got two guys who go into that situation who are fine with it, I don't see any reason why it can't succeed.
0: You brought the two running back thing. I mean, they did it this year. They put Chip, Chip Trainum and Trae Van Henderson on the field at the same time, so it's. I, I think Day has been yes,
1: uh, Trainum <clears throat> yes, they did. Um, but I that the understanding there at all times was really that Trainum was like something related, like a at least like a cousin of a fullback, right? Like he was he was mm-hmm. something along those lines, and was clearly the second back there. I think it's it, I you're you're not wrong. I just think that this would still be a, a step beyond that if you're putting both these guys on the field together.
0: The description you gave and it's uh, his yards per carry is hard because I haven't watched intensively Ole Miss played football this year. So I'm not sure what their running scheme is. And maybe 4.3 yards per carry isn't that bad because Blake Corham averaged 4.3 yards per carry this year. And I don't think anybody would say he had a bad year. So I I do, if he was averaging that, I, I know Ohio State's offense in their run game. So if he's averaging 4.3 yards in Ohio State's run game, that's probably a bad thing. I don't know if that's necessarily true for Ole Miss. And you know, I would have to go watch multiple games of that to get an idea of that. But I do think, I think he's better Mayan Williams and maybe healthier one Mayan Williams with the way he runs. It's just, I'm going to run through your face. I'm going to he- break off a bunch of t- tackles. It's like, I I think that's what he is. Well, the point I'm making with that is, I think the best game we saw with Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams as a tandem was that Wisconsin game in 2022. I think Trey got the ball like 20 times that game. Mayan got it like 10 to 12 times that game, and they both had 100 yards. But it was two very different ways of like, Going out of defense, one was to your point, Trayvon Henderson outside, getting them out in space and breaking off long runs, while Mayan Williams almost has a. I hate change of pace because people hear that and think it's a spell back. It's just it was a different style of running back that Wisconsin had to work through. One of which is extremely physical, and the other one is extremely fast. And that was one of the better games oh, I was like run game has had in the past two years. And that's what I'm think. That's why I was saying that. That's what I'm thinking of when I think of Trayvon Henderson and quinshawn judkins is just like two guys who are very effective in very different ways and so our defense has to scheme up that but the more important point i want to make is if ryan day gives up play, actually gives up play calling this year and goes out and hires an offensive court basically a jim Knowles of the offense i think these are now interesting questions because depending on where that offensive coordinator is coming from because this is a lot of weapons andrew you've got potentially travion henderson quinshawn judkins down Hayden in the backfield you've got potentially a mecca buka jeremiah smith carnell tate all down the list even jelani thurman if he takes a step it's that offensive coordinator is coming into a role where he's got to figure out how to get a list that could get down to like eight or nine guys the ball And not, I'm not saying keep everybody healthy, happy, but make sure everybody is effective in their roles out there. Because I do agree with the idea that Gwenshawn Judkins isn't coming here to go from a guy who's getting the ball 20 times a game to getting it just eight times a game.
2: I'm avoiding, I'm going to avoid the cliche of saying, well, there's only one ball. I'm going to do, I'm going to avoid that cliche. But I do think that there is something to be said for having a rhythm. And like Nathan alluded to this earlier you don't want to just rotate some of Like if you do have Travion, you don't just want to rotate these backs every series because at some point, you, like if Travion Henderson is, you know, busting off six and a half yards of carry and Judkins is at 4.8 yards of carry. Are you going to take Travion out just because it's his turn to sit? No, you got to win a game. You know, you got, you got to play Travion and you got to win a game or, you know, you got a great receiving core and you got to try and figure out how to work them in without, you know, the, like, are you going to try to run the ball if you're running the ball? Well, because you, your receivers are really good. And if you have a Mecca and Jeremiah Smith maybe is what people think he's going to be. And Carnell Tate is kind of what people think he's going to be. There, there's a case that it's like, I mean, there's not a case. It is objectively one of the more talent, one of the most talented receiver rooms in the country, Not the most talented receiver room in the country. Are you going to go away from that? Like there, there's a balance between Finding balance, right? Like there's a way, and and it's an art form to try and get your room functioning in a way where you have all these options, like you're saying, and you make it flow seamlessly, and you make every cog in the machine work because you can't just be like, wow, we got a ton of talent, this is great, because you got to find a way to make that work. You got to get the running backs in rhythm. You got to find a nice run pass ratio. What is that run pass ratio for Ohio State? that allows them to be most effective. I don't know the answer to that question. And that's going to be whoever's job it is to call plays and figure out the offense. That's going to be everybody's job because you have to figure out what works and what more accurately, maybe like what doesn't it's the Thomas Edison light bulb thing. It's like, I found X, I didn't fail X amount of times. I found out X ways not to make a light bulb. We well, got to figure out how many ways you can't build an offense and then find out what you can build an offense from, because you're going to have a lot of talent on this team. Even if Trevion goes, even if Emeka goes, and you just got to find a way to make all of this work seamlessly, and, and, and frankly, that's going to be a difficult challenge. I it's
1: think there's also to have,
2: but it's a it's a problem.
1: I think there's also a you can play some matchups here, right? Like the, this yeah. team is is better suited. So you're you're countering with this this back gets the bulk of the work that day. You're also making teams again. If if Trevion comes back, you're making teams decide like play by you know. Series by series, or sometimes you can make substitutions in the middle of a series, right? Like, do are they do they need a, another backer on the field, or do they need to go with a a a slot? You know, like they feel like they need a slot on the field uh, or a nickel to defend against what Ohio State's doing passing wise. That makes them more vulnerable against a back like Judkins. It's like there's a lot of things that um, you can play with here, and I, I feel like it's just getting weapons and then leveraging those weapons against what a def- defense is weaknesses are. And the more weapons you get, optimistically, I think the more ways you can do that. I think the one question people will have, and until we actually see how it plays out, um, you know, and this might be in November conversation, frankly, is how does this work just in terms of two guys truly sharing the number one job? Uh, Because that's, I think, what would have to be. I don't think Juggins would come here to be a complete afterthought. So, um, or even like a true backup. I think there's going to have to be some concession to him being a, a big part of the offense. So how does that look? And how do these guys, how do these guys feel about it? How do, because again, on paper, it made sense in 2018, sort of, but it didn't make sense in practicality because of how the guys actually felt about it.
0: So, Quishon Judkins, newest member of the Ohio State football team, transferred from Ole Miss. This is the second time Ohio State's added a transfer running back in the Ryan Day era. If you remember Trey Sermon back in 2020, I have still not physically been in the same room with Trey Sermon. And I covered him for an entire year, like face-to-face with him because everything was on Zoom. That was a weird year. Like... He wasn't the starter, and then he was a starter, and then he wasn't the starter, and then he turned into Ezekiel LA for two games. And then he got hurt, and then we never heard from him again, and then he was NFL draft pick that next year. So maybe there's a similar path here, though it's a lot smoother and not just this ultimate high for two games and then turns into absolutely nothing for the rest of those games. But that's Quinshawn Judkins. I did ask our texers about Quinshawn since it did happen in relation to the Michigan game. I just asked did that commitment seconds after the game help ease the pain of the Michigan win? 52% said yes. 48% said no. Get the text. 614 350 3315. When we come back, we're going to get into the fact that Michigan won the national championship last night. Well, Monday night. Jim Harbaugh said he can finally sit at the big boys table with his father Jack and his brother John, which is, I texted this to Andrew last night, actually, the Harbaugh's have the chance to have the greatest year in family history and sports, if, if John Harbaugh and the Ravens win the Super Bowl, because you would have that, plus Jack Harbaugh's just getting to sit back and watch all of that, but, it's not a good thing for Ohio State, Nathan, that Michigan has won a national championship. Let's just get into the first question. Well, the first thing I asked is how many people just watched the national championship game? 73% said yes. 27% said no. But here's some of the other questions. Like I said, 614-350-3315 if you want to participate in these surveys and everything else that comes along with the text. I promise you it's worth your time. Two week free trial, three ninety nine. after that. Michigan winning a national title is... And the answers I gave them, Nathan, the worst possible way this season could have ended... It sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Good for the Big Ten and the best motivation Ohio State could have gotten for 2024. How would you have answered
1: that question? And what do you think won from the Texers? Well, so many of those are not mutually exclusive. Um, it could be good for the Big Ten and the best motivation for 2024, but also the worst way for a season to end. Uh, yeah. From an Ohio State fan's perspective. Um, I, there's part of me that wants to say the worst possible way for season to end. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, this is this is Ohio State fans of a certain commitment level, and if you're that in on it, then you probably feel it that viscerally. At the same time, you may also not want to give Michigan that satisfaction of saying that you feel like it is the worst way for season to end. Also, I guess I'll still say that, Andrew. What do you think?
2: Well, yeah, I think the number one answer was it. I. I think it probably should be the worst possible way this season could end it I know how much this rivalry means to the fan base and watching the confetti rain down on Harbaugh and McCarthy and the hail to the victors is playing I, I mean I would have if I was an Ohio State fan that would have made me sick and I'm sure it made a lot of other people sick so I think that that was probably number one yeah. 38%
0: 38% said the worst possible way the season could have ended. 29% said the best motivation Ohio State could have gotten. And then 22%, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Good for the Big Ten only getting 11% of those votes. Nathan, comp- is it, Michigan winning a national championship is probably already a, a dagger on its own. Is it any more of a slight, just given the way Ohio State's season ended? Or does that not even
1: matter? Oh no! I think it matters because in that's it's the repercussions of losing that game were more than just what it deprived you of for the postseason. More than it deprived you mm-hmm. of Big Ten championship, deprived you of, um, deprived you of the 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 playoff, deprived you of of breaking this streak. It um. It now it, it sent you into this spiral that resulted in what happened in the Cotton Bowl. And what happened in the Cotton Bowl, I've I've been very torn by how much Ohio State fans should feel about what happened in the Cotton Bowl. Because on the one hand, you've got no Marvin, the quarterback change, then the quarterback gets hurt, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of like a domino effect that took place that didn't really have anything to do with whether you had prepared for that game or not. But then there were so many other ways that You were not prepared to play that game. It didn't have uh, personnel ready to play that game. So but when you contrast that, when you contrast that Ohio State gets knocked down to a lesser bowl and it's still New Year's six, but it and next year they would have been in the playoff, obviously, but it's still a lesser bowl for this year. And then to have that bowl unfold the way it did, at least for one half of the ball, while your major rival who's boot you used to have on their neck for a considerable period of time and look like it was maybe never going to change to now be hoisting a national championship trophy. Um I, Yeah, I, I think that those, that contrast does matter. I think it's going to matter to fans. It's the reason why there is so much. Bad feelings right now. Still, even as these, good even as good news comes in about the, the defense returning even as the offense um starts to make these big additions there's still like great uh trepidation or like a, a sense of urgency that uh falls on ryan day's shoulders right now that is i think directly related to the contrast of how these two seasons finished Andrew, what do you think
2: i mean it it It's a fun alternate history. I mean, that's kind of the way that I've been thinking about it for the last couple of weeks. Like if Ohio State beats Michigan and like, where are we at? And I think like Michigan winning the title is just like the extra knife twist, you know, because you kind of look at it, like I said earlier, like you look at it and say that could have been us. Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to draw that parallel I personally wouldn't, but I don't think it's unreasonable to say that like if Ohio State wins in Ann Arbor they're the national champion. I, I don't agree with that sentiment, but I think you can reasonably get there. Um and you just think about everything that has kind of gone wrong or maybe not even wrong, it's just sometimes chaos feels wrong, you know, and think about all the chaos that has happened since Ohio State lost to Michigan where Your starting quarterback enters the transfer portal and you get, you know, torched against Missouri on the offensive side of the ball and your offensive line looks like a total mess. And, you know, Michigan's really good and they won the national championship and you lose a little bit of recruiting momentum. It felt like, and it just, it it felt like in a lot of ways that everything kind of went wrong after that game ended or everything kind of went haywire after Ohio state lost. And I just, it's the extra little, you know, you're getting up and you get shoved down, right. You know, you're in a fight and you know, right. As it's ending, you're getting up and the other guy pushes you down at the last second, just as like a reminder to like, you know, the last middle finger, that's kind of what that was last night. I think it just, it, the extra little shove, the extra knife twist, however you want to say it, that I think was kind of what last night represented.
0: You brought up the idea that if Ohio State would have won in Ann Arbor, they win the national championship. And like, I don't think they would have, but I think, yeah, I mean, like, that's let's have that conversation, because I think there I mean, you would have had the same exact path there for. I I, that was one of the things I asked the Texas when I asked them about their feelings about it. And 49 percent said, like, we blew an opportunity again. Nathan, let's play that out then. Everything else that happens this year is the exact same. The only difference is you replace Ohio State with Michigan. Uh, Michigan with Ohio State. So Ohio State's playing Alabama, and, and they ha- their and the the road is Alabama, Washington to win a national championship. Does Ohio State win the national championship if they
1: beat Michigan? Well, I know Michigan doesn't. So <laughs> that takes care of half of the <laughs> problem. Uh, I I mean, listen. I don't know how you watch the Ohio State Michigan game and not think that. Those two teams are equitably talented in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. so they Wait, could have or won or the or national you said championship. Are
2: you are not or are equitably talented? They are. are. They, okay, I mean, okay, they were. Okay.
1: I mean, they were like head to head. Like Michigan was the team that played like a near perfect, near flawless game that day, mm-hmm. mistake free game. Ohio State made a couple mistakes, and that decides that game. Um, you know, we saw that Alabama was strong, but was also not without the potential for flaws, right? So I think that was a winnable game for Ohio State, and I think Washington was definitely a winnable game for Ohio State. I think you saw that there were limitations for Washington. I think we, we sort of knew we were maybe there all along, but Michigan did a good job completely exposing them but from an offensive standpoint. And Michigan's defense and Ohio State's defense, I think, pretty equally strong this season. Um, now, Ohio State wouldn't have had Lathan Ransom still. That's important. Um, who knows if Tommy Eichenberg would have tried to play in the postseason if it had come to that? I think he would have at least tried. We don't know how effective he would have been. So there were some things there that give you pause because the defense is what would have been the foundation of a championship run. But I, I think it's completely plausible that Ohio State wins a national championship if they win that game.
0: The reason I'm asking, it's a way to figure out how flawed we thought Ohio State it was this year. Like, was it just Michigan was better that day versus in years past we've seen in 2018, that was also just a flawed football team. I mean, that defense is just not good enough. And, you know, Rondell Moore showed us that. I think Ohio State's 2021 team, even if that passing offense was awesome, everything else about that team seemed flawed at times. And even in 2022, we saw they could get on that stage and potentially win it there. I mean— they're a field goal. It's an impossible field goal to make unless you're literally any other special teams unit in the country, apparently, because apparently everybody has 40 yard field goal kickers. It's just Ohio State doesn't have one. But last year showed us that, no, Ohio State's not flawed. Michigan is just good. And I'm wondering, Andrew, if it, the same logic can be applied here. Yes, the offensive line wasn't always great. Maybe Kyle McCord wasn't Heisman Trophy level, but overall, this wasn't a flawed Ohio as flawed Ohio State football team as maybe it can seem like when you're living in it. Now that you see how this season has played out,
2: I agree with that. I agree with that take. I, I think that that's a better way to say it. Is hey, look, you know Ohio State. You know you can watch Ohio State play all these games every year, and it you know it feels like it's it's the typical thing when you get cl- you know too close to a team, kind of like we are and like the fans of this team are you think that your weaknesses are just, you just can't get over them. And oh my God, Parker Fleming is the worst football coach that has ever coached in college football history. And the offensive line is the worst offensive line ever. It just feels like everything's worse. And it also feels like your strengths are the best strengths, right? It feels like you have the best, every, like everything that's good for you is the good everything. Everything that's bad for you is the worst of everything. And I think that it it just goes to show you that Hey look, like other teams have flaws too. JJ McCarthy didn't like the world on fire in the national championship game, right? Like everybody talked about Ohio State's quarterback play kind of not being up to par all year. Well, Michigan didn't really use their quarterback to win the national championship. They just decided to run all over Washington and that's the way that they did it. So, I think you could look at a couple of different things and be like, "Wow, they're pretty equitable talent-wise and Michigan just won the national championship." So, all right, you, you know, all right. But I do disagree with kind of this narrative that, like, I, I did see it on Twitter last night. So, okay,
0: you, you you say that a lot, that you disagree. Why do you disagree with it? With, and, and it's fine with, that you do. With, I'm which, not saying that you're wrong. With which part? That the Ohio State idea, wins? the sentiment of it, that potentially the difference between Ohio State winning a national championship was whether or not they won that Michigan game. Well, I and dis- I'm not saying you're wrong.
2: I just want to know the reasoning I, for it, other than just you just agree, disagree I hear, with I, it. Uh, sure. Uh, number one, I disagree with the, the concept of it. I, I don't think it's... I don't think it's good to be like, well, if they had won this game against a college football playoff team, they could have beaten two other college football playoff teams in one. Like if I had wheels, I'd be a wagon. I just, I don't get the, the narr- I don't get why we have to talk about it every time. That's like, Hey man, Ohio state, like if they win this one game, they could win the national championship. And it's like, yeah, well, they weren't even in the playoff. You could do that with Georgia last year. I don't think you could do that with Michigan this year because who's to say they beat Alabama, Right. Like who's to say they beat Alabama? Because like if you're gonna say that, oh, Michigan's a bad matchup for Ohio State, what are you gonna do? Well I sorry, but that sounds that reeks to me of loser talk, where it's like, Oh, they're just a bad matchup for us. We just can't get by Okay I'm, Mike oh, darn. <laughs> What's that?
0: Okay, Mike Vrabel. Yeah,
2: I just I don't I don't like that argument where it's like, uh, you know, they're just a tough matchup for us. They're just, I don't know what we can okay. okay so let's 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 get to let get a question. better. Do you, you, so there's that. You so the you concept watched it, Alabama. Yeah, the concept of it I disagree with, but on the field, like let's say Ohio State scores on that last drive against Michigan and they go in a college mm-hmm. football playoff against against Alabama. Does that does the offensive line hold up? Like, do, are we confident in Ohio State's offensive line? I understand the Missouri game was a total mess. But, like, l- does the offensive line hold up against Alabama? Mm-hmm. We were so worried throughout the year about the offensive line. And mean like, man, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, how do we feel about this? Like, is the offensive line going to be able to hang against Michigan? Okay, well, the, the offensive line, imagine now you're facing a bunch of five-star dudes. Right. Like that would have been maybe the best defense you would have faced. And hey, look, Michigan's got a great. I don't agree with that at all. Maybe. I don't know if I agree with that. But I mean, sure. Alabama has like they're they're
0: they have Dallas Turner, who is awesome. Yep. But I think there is a significant gap between Dallas Turner and the rest. Honestly, I think. Jalen Milrow and Kyle McCord just would have been spending the day running for their lives, though, because both of these offensive lines wouldn't have been very yeah,
2: good. But, sure. I And I agree with that. I do agree with that, that Ohio State's offensive or Ohio State's defensive line could have absolutely done what um, uh, what Michigan's defensive line did, where they just caused complete and total confusion. But I, it does. Uh, you have Kool-Aid McKinstry back there in Alabama's secondary. Does Does Caleb Downs matter? Because Caleb Downs is really good. And Caleb Downs is a future NFL first round pick. And that's a dude who can really kind of make some problems for you in the passing game. And I think that that's an issue. And then you would have played like, I I just don't know if Ohio State would have beat Alabama. And I would have probably like, I think the line on that game probably would have been Alabama minus three, maybe like Alabama probably would have been favored in that game. Um, or it would have been either way. It would have been a three-point pickem. It would have been again close. And then you got to play Washington, and we can talk about Michigan running rough shot over Washington and Michigan dominating on the ground and Michigan doing all these great things that they did. Okay, you know what they did? They killed them in the first quarter and they killed them for the last five minutes of the game. Washington had some chances there to really kind of take control. Like uh, Penix missed that throw where they had to settle for a field goal. And then he missed it. I think it was a dunes on that wide open fourth down play. And this is again, it's ifs and buts were candy and nuts. I get it. But Washington wasn't like Washington had four drives during that game where they could have tied the game and they didn't do it. And that one that's a credit to Michigan's defense. But two, like Washington was there. Right. Like, it w- I, I'm not going to look at Washington as like, oh, man, Washington was just outclassed at every single level by by Michigan. I, Washington had some chances to really kind of take control there and get themselves back into the game, because for a while, Blake Corum didn't do much of anything on the ground. So I I don't know, like, how does that match up against um, against Washington? I think Ohio State beats Washington. I think Ohio State has a much easier time with Washington than they do Alabama. But I just I, I don't know if you can look at it and be like. Well, if they had beaten Michigan in this hypothetical world, then they may have beaten Alabama, and then they probably beat Washington. I just don't like doing that argument.
1: I don't think Ohio State would have been. I don't think Alabama would have been favored over Ohio State. I mean, we looked at those numbers late in the season. No. If, That's if probably, you look by the Tissue what, Index, the only team Seven? that was favored by Ohio State on a neutral field, I think, was Oregon and Michigan um, among the the playoff contenders. That was late in the season. We looked at that. So I think I think Ohio State would have probably still been favored in that game, especially if it was being played. In, california um which as, as opposed to being played in in the cotton bowl or whatever um but i think i mean again you're kind of there's no reason to get too bogged down in this as to like what what would have happened mm-hmm. i think it's the point here being though like I, and i was saying this as soon as the game ended and certainly in the weeks after it as the playoff situation unfolded you know ohio state committed the grave sin of not having enough foresight to throw its weight around in the big 10 and get the divisional structure changed. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe because they thought it was advantageous for them at the time. I don't know, but why is Texas in the playoff and Ohio state's not because Texas gets to lose to Oklahoma on a neutral field, but that doesn't eliminate it from anything in the playoff. And it gets to come or in the, in, in its conference, it gets to come back, win its conference and go to the playoff as opposed to Ohio state having to you know go on the road against the team that ends up being the national champion and losing one game by six points with the ball in their hands. Like that's that is a f- factor in why Ohio State was not in the playoff and other teams were. And Texas
2: also did beat Alabama. That's nothing
1: you can do about that. Texas
2: did beat Alabama on the road. You got I think you do got to give them that yes. like that they had the best win. Sure.
1: Sure, but I'm uh, but Ohio they did have the best win but Ohio State had other really strong wins too. They had two other top 15 wins uh, mm-hmm. one on the road what end up being top 15 wins in the final AP poll anyway, like it wasn't like they hadn't proven themselves over the course of 11 games either. I'm just saying that part of the, the consternation here for Ohio state fans, I actually think is much more about the Michigan side of things than the not making the playoff and not winning the national championship side of things. Cause I think everybody knows that that's a zero sum enterprise where a lot of things are out of your control. They've seen it mm-hmm. too many times and you could get the wrong matchup in the first round or something can go haywire in the first round, like it happened at Georgia last year with injuries and everything else. So that to me is almost, you want to be in national championship contention. I don't know that you expect the national championship in any given year if you're Ohio State fans, but you can't stand the, the, the third loss in a row to, to Michigan. And the fact that Michigan went on to win the national championship is just sort of an enhancer of the pain that you feel from that. But it's the fact that you, no matter what you do, different styles, different quarterbacks. The defense mm-hmm. is finally fixed and awesome. Like whatever you're doing, it doesn't work when you get on the field against Michigan. And kind of like what you're saying, Andrew, you can say the same thing you just said about the Michigan Wisconsin National Championship game to each of these last 3 Ohio State Michigan games. Ohio State's in each of these games. They have opportunities mm-hmm. in each of these games. Yeah. It's right there for them in each of these games. You know, we keep talking about the 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 last play of the game against Ohio State Michigan. Um, And people bring up the Denzel Burke thing with the interception slash touchdown in the end zone. But really if Ohio state just makes one defensive stop earlier on that last Michigan drive and either forces Michigan to have to attempt a super long field goal or gets Mm -hmm. the ball back via punt and takes three points off the field, changes the complexion of everything. If Ohio state's driving there at the end of that game, only down by three, instead of only down by six, who knows what happens. So that's how thin the margin of 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 anguish is right now for Ohio State fans. Yeah. Like they know it was right there, but that doesn't when it's the third one in a row, it's it becomes it each one just sort of builds on its on the last one. So the then to see that Michigan then goes on and wins a national championship, it's not mm-hmm. that you know that you would have won the national championship, but you know that you were national championship caliber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and then don't even get to go to the playoff for a third year in a row you know your national championship calendar and you can't beat michigan now that's where my argument does then come full circle though to the point where sometimes when you don't beat michigan the biggest reason is michigan that hasn't been the case always in the past but it was the case this season michigan was that good played that well on that day that's the ultimate reason why Ohio state didn't win that game
2: what was michigan and i think that's where the third 15 and 0 team in college football history,
1: I think I, th- I think so. Yeah, I
0: think so. They, yeah, they
2: were just, I just think, a war machine this year. But that that's where the when I the crux
0: of it, it this could have that could have been us. You know, missed opportunity comes from is that to your point, this is a nationally national championship caliber team who can't beat its rival, who also just so happens to be a national championship caliber team. And so when you do have those conversations in your head of oh that could have been us, oh this is a missed opportunity, it probably stings a little bit more. It's different when it's just like some random when it's Clemson winning a national title or Bama or Georgia or anybody else. That's in a different world. Like you don't even like you have to get on that stage to even play against those teams in the first place. With Michigan, you get you're guaranteed to play them every single year. And when you can't get past that, that probably sticks another thorn into all of this. Let's take a quick break there. And then cause there's still the Jim Harbaugh aspect of this as we look towards it in the future and whether he's going to be here or not, but then also how this maybe impacts Ohio State and how even more going into the 2024 offseason. So we'll get into that more when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Do you think Jim Harbaugh will still be Michigan's coach in 2024? That's the question I asked. Our texts are 614-350-3315. And this has been a song and dance that we've done for the last three years. And every year, Nathan, it seems like it gets a step further and he still ends up at Michigan, Michigan anyway. I mean, last year he's interviewing with the Vikings and it didn't turn into much else because he ends up back at Michigan. But there's a lot of extra this time around that didn't exist back then. Back then it was, pro- it's a dude who's, you know,
1: you're, you're testing
0: the field. You're seeing who still loves you out there. You've been in the NFL before. You've played the Super Bowl before. We'll go coaching you know, it. I don't think he ever played in one as a player, but he did coach in one before. So you got to see what your interest is like. But the sign stealing stuff, The recruiting stuff that happened at the beginning of the year, this dude coached eight games of the 15. He coached basically half of his team's national championship season. When you throw all of this stuff in the pot, plus the NFL stuff that has popped up once again, I'll ask you first. And do you think Jim Harbaugh is going to be back at Michigan next
1: year? I'm starting to slide more into the no category Mm -hmm. that he'll make the jump. It's because you know you've you came to michigan and you accomplished what you came there to do like you were the guy who was supposed to come in and save the program after two failed hires in a row i mean 2014 ohio state is hoisting the national championship trophy and michigan's firing mm-hmm. its coach they went 5 yep. and 7 that year they were they were done and they were, an also, they were an afterthought nas- from a national perspective. And as I talked about when I first got here in 2019 and we started talking about the Ohio State-Michigan series, I made the point as someone who grew up in the Big Ten footprint but wasn't emotionally tied to either of these programs that this isn't how it's supposed to be. Michigan's not supposed to be a tier below or two tiers below where Ohio State is. like that, That's not the natural order of things. I'm not saying that Ohio State should be... Below Michigan, but Michigan was not where it was supposed to be. Like all was not right with the the greater college football world. I understand it was from the perspective of the Ohio State fan. From the just, but just at large, Michigan was not where it was supposed to be, and now it is. It's supposed to probably win a national championship once a generation. It's been twenty-seven years. Like for Ohio State or for for Michigan Hmm. to win one national championship every twenty-seven years is nothing crazy. I don't think that's they're that caliber program historically across college football, and what they have access to from facilities and 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 brand and everything else. So Jim Hobber came here and he did he he corrected the flaw as it related to Michigan. Like he came here and set Michigan back on the pedestal that it was supposed to be on. He put it back at the tier that it's supposed to be at. And he there's not anything left for him really to accomplish here. I suppose you could try to build a dynasty. He also knows there's 44 seniors leaving and maybe his quarterback and who knows who else. And you're going to have to kind of restart things a little bit. And if you have an attractive offer to go to the NFL and go back to the level where you didn't get the job finished, where you got to a Super Bowl but couldn't win it and lost your brother, by the way, like I think that there's yeah. probably a great enticement for him to do that. The one thing that – the does make me wonder a little bit is he has come out as just a a and it's unfortunate for Ohio State fans who may feel the same way to have to like acknowledge that he's done this but a a real advocate for players and for players at large getting a greater share of the financial boon of college sports Mm -hmm. and the passion that he feels for that um, does make me wonder like would you stay around because you know that your voice could help do that. Uh, uh, the other thing we have to mention here, though, um, that gets compromised if you're facing sanctions. And there's two NCAA investigations going on right now, so that may be ultimately the reason why that may that may trump everything else I just said. That may be the reason to leave simply because not only will you have to like restart and and kind of you know not not rebuild, but certainly reload at Michigan. Uh, you are also maybe going to be doing with hands tied behind your back by the NCAA. Andrew, what do you think?
2: I, a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, oh, yeah, he's gone. There's no way he's coming back. And I'm actually the inverse of Nathan. I'm kind of sliding towards he might come back to Michigan. Because. Let's lay out the I I, I did this today, and which actually let me let me stop right there. If you're a Ohio State fan who's also somehow a Titans fan, I do apologize that Mike Vrabel got fired because that's just a terrible 24 hours for you. Michigan wins the national championship, and Mike Vrabel, a former Buckeye, gets fired for some reason as coach of the Titans. Terrible. But look at the openings in the NFL. Harbaugh is God status in Ann Arbor right now, right? Like he is at a level of, you you, you can't touch him in, in Ann Arbor right now. He is at that level. You just won a national championship. He did it where, you know, Michigan fans, rightly or wrongly, kind of looked at it at Michigan against everybody, Michigan against the world. They did that whole song and dance and they kind of look at it as this is our leader that's standing up for us. He is at a level now where he's just there. He's he's up with every legend at Michigan and look at some of the NFL openings that are there right now. And tell me if tell me he should go to the Carolina Panthers, whose owner is throwing drinks on fans, right? Like it has to be a good situation for him to go, because if you're Jim Harbaugh, you're not going to go coach for some, you know, idiot owner and some awful owner who's going to tell you how to do your job. That's what happened in San Francisco and how good he was in San Francisco. It ended because it didn't work with the owner and you've got to find a situation where it works with the owner. And does the commanders work? Would he be okay with that? Because they have a number two overall pick and they've got a new owner and they're going to have a new GM. Does he go to the chargers and coach Justin Herbert? Uh, Maybe. Does he go? I mean, does he go to the Titans who just fired Vrabel and now all of a sudden their ownership looks like a mess? Like, I understand it. You just kind of map it out a little bit and you're like, okay, Mike Vrabel's now on the market. Ben Johnson's on the market. And people are talking about Bill Belichick being gone. And there's all these other guys, Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens. And without getting into the names of everybody, you look at the numbers and you're like, there's actually a good case for some of these teams to hire other people and not Jim Harbaugh. And if that's the case, why would Jim Harbaugh settle for anything less than a job that he's perfect for? Why would he go coach the Panthers or a team that is in a team like the Panthers or maybe the Bears or whoever that is in just complete disarray? Why would you do that? I don't know. So I, I actually think it's becoming more and more likely that he stays just because I'm I'm kind of mapping out this coaching market in the NFL. And I'm like, there's a lot of really good coaches out there that you didn't think were going to be out there. And- I think you could make a reasonable case that Harbaugh just doesn't fit some of these programs and that if that's the case, why would you sell yourself short?
1: The Bears are the interesting one to me because he is a former yeah. Bear. And uh, if they have not moved on from Matt Eberflus yet, we don't know that they will. There is a lot of support for Eberflus in that locker room. There's a lot of support for Justin Fields in that locker room. Neither one of them might be there next season because the Bears have some tough decisions to make. But that's another one where you know the organization, they have not the number two pick, the number one yeah. pick and the number 10 pick in the upcoming draft. And they have a quarterback who you got to see up close and have your own opinions about if you're Jim Harbaugh. Maybe you think that Justin Fields can uh, can work at that level and you want to keep him. And the, the thing, the, the ownership thing is is interesting. We don't want to get too bogged down in this. But when, when Ryan Day a couple of years ago was um, supposedly mentioned in the uh, commander's job <clears throat> when it was open the last time, um and very quickly I think his name left that because that was an organization. Andrew, I think you can attest to this uh, oh, yeah. strongly that at the time was like like two dumps on top sports. of each other. Yeah, why would you do that? Just like elephants just pooping on it. Yeah. So <clears throat> just a catastrophe. And there was no reason to do that. The Chicago, I think, as someone who grew up following the Bears and continues to watch them, has ownership problems too. But they almost are maybe kind of ownership problems that fit Jim Harbaugh because it's a program that is stuck in nineteen eighty-five, <laughs> I think just forever. Like it is stuck with the Super Bowl shuffle and Mike Singletary and Walter Payton and and Jim McMahon and like probably remembers Jim Harbaugh fondly as like the new kid on the block. So to have him come home there would, would be interesting. And if, if they kept Justin Fields, then that would really be interesting to watch those two work together in the future but i do think there's going to be we you try to gauge this like it, last year it seemed like and maybe even the last couple of years it seemed like Jim Harbaugh was trying to make the NFL thing happen and this year it seems like the NFL might be more interested in Jim Harbaugh just a just a vibe but that doesn't it doesn't mean anything and it doesn't mean like Michigan Michigan's going to try to keep him Michigan's going to they'll do whatever you know, we, it we've takes we've heard at the this contract point, yeah. extension rumors for a while yeah like they're going to make him have to say no to a a really big lucrative contract to leave.
0: They're gonna give him back all that money that when he restructured his contract <laughs> in 2020, and then so we already got a lot of that <laughs> um, back. He already got yeah. a lot of that back. Yeah. So the reason I'm asking because it's in perspective of Ohio State, right? Ohio State might be bringing back a large juncture of its 2023 roster in 2024, and setting itself up to. Be the the soup, maybe the super team that we thought they had the potential to be in twenty twenty three. All those years ago, before we realized, oh, the offensive line might be bad, and they still have some things to figure out in the offensive line. And Ryan Day still shuffling through decisions with his staff, which no other decisions, as we're recording this pod on Tuesday afternoon, have been made outside of Perry Eliano. But get the text six one four three five zero three three one five as those decisions come out. They're going to your phone first before everywhere else. Two weeks for trial, three ninety nine after that, but. Ohio State might be awesome next year, and we're just not sure with Michigan. And it's because of the Jim Harbaugh thing. And then you brought up the sanctions that potentially and punishments that still could be out there because there are still investigations going on with Michigan. It's the fact that they do have 44 seniors. It's the fact that their five-star quarterback, who has been everything he said he was going to be at Michigan and everything he said he was going to do to Ohio State, could be going off to the NFL at this point. They we talked a lot about before the season how much talent Ohio State could lose after 2023. Michigan could lose just as much, and then some, Well, also its leader, while well also, depending on its punishments, some of its higher-up assistant coaches, its coordinators might be in trouble with some of this stuff, too. So Michigan
2: might be just having the highest of highs
0: just to go to the lowest of lows and in like three weeks.
2: I was going to say, I was going to so, add into that, you might have all these dudes leave and I was just gonna say, who cares? Banners hang forever, but that particular banner might not hang forever specifically. Yes. Yeah, so. but that's not. But the, the like that stuff is it's
0: whatever. I mean, Michigan went to the Final Four a couple of times yeah. with their basketball team in the nineties, right. and they they put those in a lock somewhere. But then they made a thirty for thirty about it. We all know what yeah. happened. So uh, that's we watched. Not really it that important to me. The reason why, yeah, the reason why this matters to Ohio State is if all of this comes to pass, if Harbaugh leaves, if all these players leave if Michigan gets these punishments, which they may or may not, who knows. But in Michigan basically just goes back to the, it's like Jim Harbaugh came in 2015 and finally capped off the promise that his hire came with. And now he's he potentially could be leaving and resetting that fire all over again. And Michigan just goes back into the obscurity they were in, in 2015, but for an Ohio state program who has lost three straight to Michigan would that win feel the same? If you do write this rivalry next year, but all that stuff happens to Michigan, and it's not quite the team that had been beating you for three years, does it hit the same way, Nathan, as it would have hit if, like, say, Michigan was still going to be one of the five best programs? And the reason why— Let me finish this point, and then I'll let us go. Because that's part of the reason this stings so much for Ohio State. Ohio State is still good, and Michigan is doing this to them. It's not like— when you lost in 2011 where it's like, oh, because like we had sanctions and we were starting Braxton Miller who had no business starting and half of our good players just weren't playing that year because it was either go to the NFL or serve a suspension. So that that win almost is just like, who cares? But when you beat a team and you get the best version of them and you do it three times in a row, it does hit, hit a little harder. And so I'm wondering if they get basically the 2011 Ohio State version of Michigan next year, how do we cover that game? How do we approach that game? And how does it hit for Ohio State fans if they if this plays out and Ohio State ends up getting a win in Columbus next next year?
1: Uh, do I think it will mean after they win that game that there will be a certain segment of the fan base and maybe a certain segment of, of college football in general that looks at Ryan Day and says, like, well, okay, like, mm-hmm. that's fine. But you got to do it again when Michigan's good again. Like, yes, I think right. that's that will happen. I think, frankly, that's kind of fair at this stage. Uh, however, there's also a lot of Ohio State fans who probably some who are listening who didn't like what I was saying before and, and sound like you're making excuses for Ohio State that uh, who cares if Michigan is one of the best teams in the country. You still got to win. You got to beat Michigan no matter what. And if that's mm-hmm. true, then it has to also apply when you beat them when they're down. So uh I, to, for for Ryan Day, it, it's more of a, a can't lose than a must win. Does that make sense? I don't know. That probably doesn't make sense. Maybe those are the same thing. I mean, you, you can't afford a loss at any cost. So that means that any win is has great value. And, you know, uh, the, the the early odds are out. Ohio State's favored by three and a half in that game by the first thing that the odds makers put up, which is kind of crazy. They're also uh, an underdog by one and a half points at Oregon. If you yeah. want to start uh, putting money on Ohio State to be a, a road dog next season, uh, mid-October. Those are the only two individual game lines I've seen so far. But there's every reason to believe that with everything Michigan is losing and everything that Ohio State returns. Like, if I told you that, okay, we're going to go back and replay the game from this past year. Ohio State's going to keep its same defense, uh, and Michigan's going to lose a bunch of people, and Ohio State is going to swap uh, Will Howard in for Cal McCord. You can't have Marvin Harrison Jr., but you can have the leading rusher – one of the two leading rushers in the sec for the past two years people Mm -hmm. would be like, okay, let's go. Let's, I think Ohio Mm -hmm. state's chances are good in that game. The spread should actually, will probably be higher than three and a half points when that game actually gets here, because I think just from a roster standpoint, Ohio state will be better when that game arrives in late November. So Ohio state should be favored as it stands right now to win that game. They should have the better roster, but uh, that hasn't really mattered the last three years. It was favored in 2020. 21 it was favored in 2022 and didn't win those games. So it's got to find a way to win this game kind of no matter what. That's really all that matters at this stage. And now it's especially true I think because um in the past when in, in 2022 you could lose that game and if the right teams around you were losing you get to still go to the playoff, right? You almost won a national championship if you if you gotten two more points against Georgia. So this year that's going to be true going in. You're going to make the playoff probably regardless, although I did see one bonehead put out a 12-team uh, oh. <laughs> uh, list. It didn't have Ohio State. It only had, I think, Michigan and and maybe Oregon and Washington in it among Big Ten teams. I thought that was a little, eh, I don't know about that. Um, but if you, if you go into week 12, week 13, 14, actually, I think next year it'll be because of the buys. If you go into that last game and you've got one loss, you are basically guaranteed of making the playoff yeah. no matter the result of that game. So it, I think it makes it even a, more of a must-win.
2: I don't know about one loss because you could still... Well, I guess I guess it, it would be true if you don't make the Big Ten Championship. I just game. don't... Like, I'm, I'm saying, like, if right, you lose you to don't Michigan want to and be, then lose in a Big Ten Championship game, you'd have three. That's that's dicey.
1: Well, that's... I guess I'm not assuming you would make the Big right, Ten Championship yeah, game if agree. you lost sure. to Michigan. So, Right. If you, But I think three three losing in a Big Ten Championship game is dicey, but it's not as dicey as already having three. Correct. Is going Correct. nine and three and trying to get in. That's where it's tough. So, yeah, that's where yeah, it's tough. I saw that that line. Ten, ten and three, I think, still gets you in a lot of years, especially if you're high. Yeah, 100%. Um, I saw that line come
2: out the other day, or last night after the game, and I was like, who? I, I want to I talk to some people who are betting on that line. Now, with that said, I like you would tell people to bet on Ohio state right now because I think Michigan's going to have a lot of changes in the off season in terms of personnel, at least we'll see what happens at coach. But that like the NCAA, we don't know yet what's going to happen with that. Like they're going to be punishments or they're going to be that we don't know. And I just, I look at that team and I'm like, man, I just, I don't know. But I, I think you put it best in terms of like, can't lose. I think there's more to lose for Ryan day in that game than there is to win in that game for Ryan day. Yeah. That's yeah. what I meant to because say. Because if you yes. beat Michigan as a 17 and a half point favorite and you beat an eight and four Michigan team that is kind of just sputtering along after you lose a lot of your national championship team with a ridiculous schedule, I might add Michigan's schedule next year is very, very difficult. So if you beat an eight and four yes. Michigan team as 17 and a half point favorites, there's going to be some segment of the P- Sam fan base that says, all right, we're back on track, but there's also going to be, and I think fairly and maybe even correctly, a segment of the fan base. that's like, you know what? You still got to beat Michigan when they're good because we haven't done that yet.
0: This part of me that looks at Michigan schedule If all this stuff comes to pass, eight and four, congratulations, Michigan. You got through that. Yeah, you exactly. got eight wins out of that. Nathan, you talked at length about the idea of, the The concept of the rivalry is going to change a little bit because it's not going to be the end all in terms of what Ohio State can do after that. And I do think I agree with that in every year but twenty twenty four in a scenario where all this plays out. Because I don't think Ohio State's going to have two losses going into that last weekend. I don't think it right now. And because we're not marking anything down, I don't. I can change my answer in two months if I want to. But I just don't. Their schedule's kind of easy outside of like the oregon game just off the top of my head right now so i I, at worst i think they'll have one loss so i think they're in regardless of what happens in that michigan game but because i think that because i think i mean you're making the playoffs anyway so like what are we doing here then this is now the most important thing happening it's like yeah you made the playoff but like dude really you've lost four times and now the team the team you're losing to looks like this because that's john cooper John Cooper wasn't losing the Michigan teams who were winning national championships every single year. That's, that's the, that's where you want to start. It was the fact yeah. that Ohio state had the national championship, the NFL players and the hall of fame players all over the place. And they were still losing those games. So if you're losing to an eight and four, seven and five, nine and three Michigan team, that's when we can start calling you John Cooper. And that's when I start thinking, I don't know. And this work? Ryan day's yeah. job might not be too. It's like, I don't know if Ryan day's job is going to be safe this off season. So I, it's, It's the most important Michigan game of Ryan Day's career, in my opinion, especially in a world where all of this plays out. Because, yeah, I think from an athlete perspective, if you would ask these players, they'd probably, man, we wish we got the best version of them. We wanted that version of them because that's how everybody thinks. Everybody wants to say that they're better than somebody, but when it's their best version, you want the best version, you can beat them. But if you're losing to a Michigan team who has now gone back into obscurity just because... All this left, and they're dealing with sanctions. That's when you can start asking, and, and maybe there's there's a part of the fan base who started thinking that way last year, and it's obviously rammed up even more this year, which is leading to some of the decisions Ryan Day is making. It's kind of like, you know, this. I don't. I I am not saying he's coaching for his job this year, but I do think he's making some decisions this offseason that are a mind of like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down swinging. I think that's a fair thing to say, but it's this is it 2024 is it if especially if all this plays out if you can't get it done next year then we have to start wondering whether you're able to ever get it done
1: again at Ohio State I just think it's it it's a really complicated um evaluation because like you said it's not the John Cooper situation it's not the team that is most years like significantly better than Michigan, at least on paper and can't win that game. You're you're playing Michigan at the recent apex, maybe the all time apex of its program, like <clears throat> three playoff appearances in a row, three big 10 championships in a row and a national championship. Like when has Michigan ever been that good, that long at, at the top of the sport at, at a time when arguably it was tougher to do it now because you have to actually do it. You can't just do it in the minds of people voting. You have to actually go out on the field and do it. Um, So like there's that aspect of it and he's not, he hasn't been um, vulnerable to the urban upsets that were happening late in the urban Meyer tenure. You haven't seen him go on the road against Iowa and Purdue and get embarrassed. That's not happening for all the former players who've come out of the woodwork to like talk about how there's something wrong at the like fabric of this program. Like, well, those losses aren't happening now. They're not even really coming close to happening. So It's a complicated evaluation because if for some reason Michigan were still tremendous next year and another fantastic game unfolds that the house, state just doesn't win. And that's the only loss you take all year. Like I, as an AD, I think that's a really, really tough evaluation to make because who are you going to, who are you going to hire that? You know, Mm -hmm. you'll get all of the other good stuff with, plus you're absolutely certain that they'll beat Michigan. Like that, it's a very tough equation to me. And it's not me saying that Ohio State, it's okay if they lose to Michigan. I'm just saying that if that bad eventuality unfolds, then it's a tough evaluation. But I don't think that's the eventuality we're going to be faced with. I do think that Mich- – I, I think there might be, actually, if things unfold for Michigan, even without sanctions, like just the talent that could they could lose. Yeah. And if they also lose Harbaugh, even if you're keeping someone like um, Sheryl Moore as the head coach, there's still going to be a transition there. There's still going to be things that change. I just – it's they're going to be more vulnerable than they were this year for sure, and you get them at home. So it's setting up for Ohio State to have the advantage there. It's just a matter of can they capitalize on it? I think that's the bigger question here, because and if you don't capitalize on it there, then it, then I think it does indicate some kind of a flaw. If, if, they're, if Michigan is clearly a a not in your level this year, then and you somehow lose that game, then then I think it is a problem.
0: It's gonna be interesting whenever Ohio State announces its new AD. I think because that's just because that that is an important variable in this. Is that Gene Smith's not gonna be here next year, so that's like a dude who doesn't have any reason to be tied to Ryan Day. So like he's gotta depending on how next season plays out, this this could be an interesting. This is gonna be an interesting twelve to 16 months going forward for Ohio State and its football program. And with especially in relation to Michigan, depending on how much of this comes to light in terms of, we know they're going to lose the talent, but are they going to lose the coach? and Are they going to lose other things along the way just because of sanctions and punishments and whatnot? That'll wrap up this pod. Get the text, 614-350-3315. I think we're going to do a rapid-fire pod to close out this week, along with some others. We're going to talk about Ohio State and Ryan Days, how he's approaching building this 2024 coaching staff that's going to close out this week. And then next Monday we've been putting it off because things keep happening and we can put it off. So at least for right now, the plan is to look back on some of the predictions we made before the season, but I don't know, maybe something else happens in the next 24 hours and we have to change that as well. Everything's tentative right now because there's a lot going on, but get the text 614-350-3315. It's all those things are happening. We're texting at first two week free trial. Three ninety nine. After that, the le- the next upcoming thing that is happening. I just want to touch on this real quick, Andrew. A potential five star recruit in the twenty
2: twenty five class is committing tomorrow, and is it is it looking like Ohio State's going to get another one? So you look at the the class ranking for Ohio State. He's number. He's a defensive end, Zahir Mathis. He's a five star player or four star player, but he's number thirty seven in the country. So he's kind of okay. right on that border. Um, he is a defensive end out of Pennsylvania. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I think it's going to be, I would lean Ohio state right now. That's kind of the way it sounds is that Ohio state is leading for him. But again, we'll, we'll have to see that would be big for Ohio state to kind of make a splash on the defensive line, especially kind of after everything that happened with Larry Johnson. Um, the other announcement too, I just want to slip this in here with recruiting, uh, Dorian Brew the five-star corner who played in Kettering and then moved to Texas during this past season, uh, during his junior year. He's also making his announcement on uh, January 24th, so that's a Wednesday. Um, He is the number 19 player in the class, and at corner, you've already signed, or you've already got a commitment from number six overall player Devin Sanchez, and then you've got Dorian Brew kind of on deck that would be a Brian Hartline-level class at corner if you can bring in Brew and Sanchez. Brew and Sanchez, for what it's worth, do train together. So that's the latest recruiting news that Ohio State's defensive recruiting in the 2025 class is off to a really, really strong start, especially if you can get Mathis and, and uh, Brew in, this cl- in these classes.
0: So as you're listening to this pod, you're probably waiting for Zahir to make his decision. And if you want to Find out as quickly as possible. Get the text, six one four three five zero three three one five. 3315 When that happens, that's the first place Andrew will be going with that news. And that'll wrap up this pod for Nathan Baird. And for Andrew Gillis, I'm Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk.